Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because this week on the podcast we're talking about Fast Times at Ridgemont High from 1982. And I'm joined for this very special discussion for the first time in the studio by Rosalie Lewis. Hi, Rosalie. Hi, Patrick. How are you? I'm good. Welcome. Thank you. It's exciting to have you here because we've only done... um, Skype shows before. That's true, despite living mere minutes from one another. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, COVID. <laughs> um, oh, my mic just crapped out for a second. Okay. All right. Technical problems. It's okay. This is what happens. Uh, anyway, um, you just got back from Boston. How was that? It was absolutely awesome. I had a great time, discovered some little hole in the wall places to find movie paraphernalia, which is always fun. So, what kind of movie paraphernalia did you find? So. Let's see. My top three favorite movie paraphernalias. Yes. Because you got to do a list. I like it in list form. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to say number three was a flea market find of these USA Today books that were filled with pictures of celebrities from the 90s. Nice. And they're giant coffee table books. And so, you know, it was the 90s. So there's pictures of people like Chris O'Donnell. There's the the cast of Friends, X-Files people. And there was a picture of Vin Diesel. So I was really happy about that. From the 90s? From the 90s. Well, he was in Boiler Room. I think that was close enough. That was two thousand, I think. Okay, so this was the second volume. I oh, think it was okay. released in nineteen ninety nine. So it was probably just a promo shot for the movie. Sure. Anyway, I was excited. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so that was fun. Uh, that's my number three. Okay. And uh, number two would be the um, awesome Mexican noir posters that I found at this little shop in Somerville, Massachusetts, a suburb of Boston called in your ear records. Nice. One of those places where the guy that owns it talks to you for like 35 minutes while you're, you know, hanging out in the store. Cause they're really friendly and really nice and just like to talk about their hobbies with people, which is the best reason to own a record store. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they had a whole bunch of these one sheets and lobby cards from old noir movies that were, you know, Mexican versions of the U.S., and so I had to pick up a few of those, of course. Very cool. And my number one was a place in Maine, actually, because I ventured to Maine as well. This place called the Maine Book House, and there were some first editions of film noir novels that were really exciting. So my favorite there was by Ira Levin, and it was, uh, you know, something that I was, like, not expecting to find, but I was super excited to find, and some James Kane and lots of other goodies. So, Very cool. Yeah, wow. a really good trip for movie lovers like myself. That is outstanding. Well, I'm glad you had a good time, and welcome home. Thank you. Have you seen anything good lately? Oh, I've seen so much. Yay! Um, yes. So I'll try to be, like, reasonable with my time and discussion. Ah, you know. Um, we, got, we got time. We got some time. <laughs> um, so... In the more distant past, but still worthy of mention, I would say, um, I have been enjoying the Criterion Channel's uh, neo-noir collection. Yeah. So I've watched quite a few of those. I would say I've seen about 80% of it at this point. So I won't talk about every single one because that would take forever. (laughs) Um, But some highlights in case you have the Criterion Channel and you want to check it out. Cutter's Way, which is fantastic. Uh, John Hurd, who I love. And Jeff Bridges are in that movie, and it's really, I would say, very underrated. Great performances from both, and a very memorable final scene involving a horse. I won't say more than that, but if you have seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Have you seen that one? I have a, I have a Blu-ray of it, and I've never seen it. Oh, you got to watch it. I will. It's very rewarding. Yeah, um, I really want to see it. Yeah. Um, another one that I really enjoyed was uh, The American Friend, which is a Vim Benders film. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't, I haven't seen a lot of Vim Benders. Um, I haven't even seen Paris, Texas, which I know is a crime against humanity <laughs> and cinema. But I will get to it, I promise. Um, but that was a really enjoyable one. Um, and again, another one that I feel like is not talked about all that much. Yeah. Um, but really like low key and almost kind of like a buddy movie feel to it, right. which is weird to say about a noir, but it kind of has that sense. Yeah, that's a really good one. And some really good cameos, too, from directors. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I really like that one a lot. Yeah. So good stuff there. Um, and then I've seen a few that, okay, some on my list are good, and some on my list are like, I'm not sure what to say here. Sure. So we'll talk about that. All right. Um, 
One that I watched because I was like, I really want to see some more Jennifer Lopez movies was Angel Eyes. <laughs> I saw that in a theater. What did you think about it, Patrick? I don't remember because it was like 20 years ago, but I don't remember loving it. But I'm yeah. not a big Caviezel guy either. So I'm not a big Caviezel guy either. I do like Frequency, but oh, yeah, Frequency's this movie, good. so it was set in Chicago, which is like a point in its favor. Sure. And on the cover, it boldly boasts two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert. Or actually, <laughs> okay. I think it's Ebert, Ebert and Roper, Roper at, at that the time. Point, yeah. um, so I was like, okay, cool. And I thought it was going to be a thriller or maybe like, you know, an no. erotic thriller. No. 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 It's like this extremely lengthy and drawn out romance slash drama slash I'm not like police procedural sort of what is the main conflict in the movie i don't even remember okay, I, she's so a cop i remember she's that she's a cop um gets saved by her in the beginning from a car accident like she's the cop that like comes on the scene and is like stay with me look at my eyes and right. that's where angel eyes comes from i guess oh. and then he saves her later from somebody that's what? gonna shoot her and they don't acknowledge that they've seen each other. She doesn't really know that it's him, but I think he knows that it's her. Um, and he has, like, blocked out the day of the accident because, like, spoilers, but, like, his family died in the accident. And so... Oh, I kind of remember this. He's, like, kind of a stalker, but she loves him. I don't know. It's so <laughs> weird. Like, if this really happened, I would be like, what is wrong with you? Because... No, women love that, right? He, like, comes to I her house... I want to make sure that we're sending the right message. Women love stalkers. Yeah, he comes to her house after she stands him up and is like, we had an appointment and you didn't you didn't show up and that matters to people. And like he goes through her drawers and then she right. goes to his house and it's just a futon and it's all really like it danger signs. Very romantic. And then like he has a drawer full of toys and I was like, is it going to turn out that he's like a child predator, <laughs> which would have been really much more interesting than what actually happens. OK, um, but a like twist for sure. Yeah. And then, like, Jeremy Sisto is in it as her brother, and her dad is, like, not the nicest guy, and so there's, like, family drama. So basically, both of them have these unresolved things that they need to, like, deal with psychologically, and, like, they do. Um, I don't know if it's worth being a whole movie. <laughs> it, it, it had potential, and I do think that Lopez was good in it, but, okay. yeah, I was a little underwhelmed. What um, so every year on a specific date? It's May thirty first. Uh -huh. Erica and I go to the same movie theater and see a movie because it was like the anniversary of our first date at this theater. And so every year we're sort of subject to whatever has come out, and that's not necessarily a real big weekend like Memorial Day. Like a lot of times, we would have gone to see whatever the big movie was, and then we're left with like the scraps by the time we go on the 31st. So one of the years, our movie was Angel Eyes, because it was the scraps that was left. Sure. So that's what we saw, and I haven't thought of it since then. What inspired you to want to see more Jennifer Lopez movies? So It doesn't have a lot of great movies, Well, I, don't I loved think. Hustlers. Okay. Which I realized is like a long time ago, but then she's... And I also loved Anaconda. Okay. Which I watched within the last year. And I had seen the cover a million times and thought it was a different kind of movie than it right. was without doing any research because right. I like to go into movies blind if I can. Okay. And so also she's been in the news a lot because of the whole Ben Affleck thing. Right. And I guess like somehow permeated my consciousness. Where do you land on the Ben Affleck thing? I mean, good for them. I don't care. I'm like, rooting for them. Yeah. I mean, do whatever you want. They're adults. They know what they're getting into. Have you seen point. Gigli? No. I bring Should it up I? because, I mean, I think so. Uh, but it's directed by Martin Brest, who, of course, has a cameo. In Fast Times in at Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That is true. So it's all connected. <laughs> it all ties together. Did you ever see U-Turn? No, but I, I own U-Turn. Okay. And so that's more of like, not an erotic thriller, uh -huh. but much more of like a neo-noir with Jennifer Lopez as the femme fatale. Yeah. So it's got a couple things going for it that you might like. The other movie I almost watched was The Cell. I like that movie. Not everybody does. I like The Fall, which I think is the I never same saw director. The Fall. It is, yeah. And I love his visual style. Yeah. So I'm curious about it. I'm a fan of The Cell. I couldn't, I couldn't get in for like a you know Vince Vaughn, Vince D'Onofrio, like double feature last night. I just felt like it was too much Vince. Sure, so understandable. I moved on, but I will watch it at some <laughs> point. Um, the next one I watched, which was really fun was the one that I tweeted about saying this feels like an oh, yes. F this movie movie. Oh my so gosh, I'm going to be so exciting. curious if you've seen this or not. 
It's called Catch the Heat. No. And it's from, I believe, 1987. It stars Tiana Alexandra and um, a guy whose name sounded kind of Ku Klux Klan-y, uh, David Dukes. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's his real name. Sure, I don't know. Sure, no, not his fault. Um, yeah, and also Rod Steiger is in it. Catch the heat. It is. Okay, so I wrote down some key lines of dialogue as okay. I was watching it because I just... So it's written by and produced by Tiana Alexandra's husband, Sterling Siliphant. Which is a great name. It is a great not- name, and he wrote... Some of my favorite noirs, including Nightfall and The Lineup. Okay. As well as more modern features, including Over the Top. Right. So he really runs the gamut. Um, he does. But yes, so in the he opening wrote in scene. In the Heat of the Night, what is going on in this movie? She is um, uh, an undercover cop who like does karate, of course. <laughs> they were friends with Bruce Lee, so it's kind of legit. Her name is Checkers Goldberg. Yes, her name is Checkers Goldberg in the movie, <laughs> but but her undercover name is Cinderella Pooh. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's fantastic. Okay, everybody needs to watch this. Wow. I want to watch it with a group because wow. it's yeah. Um, there's an exchange early in the movie where the bad guy is like thinking that he's going to score with her, and he says, "I never made it with a China chick." And she's like, I never did either. And then, like, they get in his truck and he's like, ass on the grass, I'm going to mow your lawn. (laughs) And she's like, April Fool, motherfucker. (laughs) And then, like, pulls a gun on him. It's just, it's great. Like, the whole thing is fantastic. Um, Yeah. So, I highly recommend this movie. How did you see Catch the Heat? Um, I found it at Half Price Books. Okay. The cover was intriguing. Yeah. I had not heard of it before, and then I saw Sterling Siliphant's name on it, and I was like, well, I need to have this in my collection, <laughs> obviously. And, um, yeah, the rest Brian, is history. Brian Thompson is in it. Yep. And I do love Rod Steiger as well, and he gets to be a bad guy in it. Oh, he likes to play a bad guy. He does. He plays a pretty good bad guy. Jason Hannibal. Jason Hannibal. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't get more intimidating than a guy named Jason Hannibal. Every bad guy's name is Jason as you know. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah. If you can fit it into a future lineup of F this movie viewing of some kind, okay. you should. Catch or the just heat. for yourself. I put the DVD on my Amazon wish list yes. while we were talking because I mean, it's only 10 bucks. You, so, well, yes. I may do that as well. It's great. <laughs> um, okay. The next movie I'm going to talk about, Outgrossed Robocop, Lethal Weapon, Predator, and Dirty Dancing, the year that it came out. Okay, 87. Yes. It stars someone who is in one of your favorite movies of all time. Hmm. I mean, my original guess was like Crocodile Dundee, but that can't be right because Paul Hogan hasn't been in any of my favorite <laughs> movies. Linda Kozlowski, has she? No. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, it's The Secret of My Success. Oh, yeah. Um. I didn't know what to expect with this one, <laughs> and I still don't know what to expect no. with it, because I don't think it knows what it is. No, it it doesn't. Um, I was like, okay, I'm looking for something kind of like lighthearted and fun and maybe a little goofy. It, it has those elements, but it's it's weird. So if you haven't seen it, Michael J. Fox stars as a guy from Oklahoma or Kansas, I forget now, who has decided to go to the big city of New York and pursue his dream of becoming like a corporate guy and he along the way like gets fired from his first job then he meets up with a sort of uncle and the uncle's supposed to give him a job but the uncle's like a mean guy who owns like a multi-billion dollar corporation in a you know giant skyscraper and along the way michael j fox sleeps with the boss's wife spoilers sorry um And he also sleeps with somebody else in the office, and he undermines the only female executive, but, like, she seems to like him more for this. I don't know. (laughs) And he's in the mailroom, but then he's also, like, pretending to be an executive. Right. But I don't know how that would work, because he's not going to get paid like an executive, so, like, what's the motivation there? And 
the tone's just really weird because it's like sometimes it's romantic and sometimes it's goofy and sometimes it's like a love letter to capitalism. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. It's super weird. It blows my mind that that movie was so popular. Like it is a testament to our collective love of Michael J. Fox and how popular Back to the Future was. Yeah. That like the secret of my success could outgross all those movies that you mentioned. Exactly. It was the secret huge... of its success definitely is Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. And like I could watch the movie anytime just because it's like Michael J. Fox being yeah. Michael J. Fox and he's so charismatic and entertaining. But yeah, when the Kino Blu-ray came out maybe a year ago, I tried to review it for the site. And the review is pretty short, but I mm-hmm. think I said the same thing where I'm like, what is this movie? Because yeah. it's like part corporate, um, like how to succeed in business without really trying kind of comedy, part like bedroom farce. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's very strange. Also, it uses the full length version of the, the song, Oh Yeah by Yellow, twice. <laughs> Not once, but twice. <laughs> In its runtime. It's a long movie. It is a long movie. Yeah. It's a very long movie. And there's some really drawn out scenes. And there's also like a lot of extensive making out, which is just like super odd that didn't fit the rest of the material at all. With his aunt. Yes, with his aunt. Like they're not blood related, but still. They make a point of calling her Aunt Vera and then they have sex. I know. It's And then after he finds out she's his aunt, they have sex again. I know. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. a special one. It's a it's a weird one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the only other one I will talk about because the other stuff I watched was mostly for podcasts was Dead Calm, which I've seen already, but I rewatched it last night because I was in the mood to see Dead Calm. I don't know. I didn't have a reason. I just saw it on the shelf and I was like, I haven't seen this in twenty years. I'm going to check it out again. And it rewarded me very much. Yeah, that movie rules. It's so fun. It's just like, even though it's only three people, basically, they're all really people I enjoy seeing because, I mean, who doesn't want to see, you know, Nicole Kidman and her like Aussie accent and perm and red hair. And then you've got, you know, Billy Zane, who actually had hair back then still. And, you know, Sam Neill, who's like the best. So as a 12 year old, I didn't know who any of those people were. Uh, because none of them had done much of anything at the time. Sam Neill had a career, but in movies that I hadn't seen. Sure. Um, I hadn't seen, like, Nicole Kidman's few, you know, I hadn't seen BMX, BMX Bandits and yeah. whatever else she had done at that point. So we would rent movies on New Year's Eve, and we were always stuck with, again, like my story with Angel Eyes, we were always kind of stuck with the dregs of whatever was left over. Uh, because all the big movies got rented out very quickly, and so we were left with these weird little oddball movies. Um, so that's how I saw, like, uh, I, Madman. Did you ever see that? No. Oh, my God. That movie's so good. Um, there's another one I wanted to mention, and Dead Calm. And these were movies that I knew nothing about, had never heard of, had actors I didn't recognize, mm-hmm. and I would put them on as a 12-year-old and just be knocked out by them. And Dead Calm is one of those movies that I will remember forever because it's so good. Yeah. The ending to it, I had completely forgotten about, but there is a very good ending. Yes, there is. Yeah. No, I'm a big fan of that movie. Um, all right. I've got three that I will talk about. Um, the first is I took my kids to see Free Guy. Oh, Starring the one and only Ryan Reynolds. Starring the one and only Ryan Reynolds. My son has been looking forward to this movie for two years because this was a pandemic postponement. Oh. So we saw the trailer for it probably before the last Star Wars movie, and it hasn't come out until now. So he was ready for this movie. Um, He has already proclaimed it to be his favorite movie of all time. Wow. He proclaimed it to be that before it was even over. (laughs) Uh, because it, it's it's a movie made just for him at 12 yeah. years. Like when I was his age, I was watching Dead Calm. He's watching sure. Free Guy. So we're in different places. We all have our priorities. I guess. Um, but it's like it's about video games. It's got Marvel jokes. It's got Star Wars jokes. It's got YouTubers that he recognizes and that he watches. It's like all these things that seem specifically designed to cater directly to him. He is the audience for this movie. So I totally get why he loved it because it was made for him. Um, I was a little more lukewarm on it. I thought it was cute. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I thought its heart was in the right place. I didn't love it because I'm not a I don't play video games, so all that language means very little to me. Um, but again, I get that if you do, you'll be kind of a sucker for it, you know, because a movie that's set around movies, we're more inclined to like. Right. Just because it's like, well, this is the thing that I like. So, of course, you're speaking my language. Uh, not so much with video games. But, I mean, I, I liked it more than I thought I would while also not loving it. But I guess that's a positive review. I mean, it looked from the previews a little bit like the Lego movie to me. Are there... Sure. Things... Because uh, just in the sense that it's like characters trapped inside of something that we... Right. As humans are outside of. Right. I don't know. That was it's got a little perception. bit of like Truman Show. Sure. Um, and it, it has some really nice positive things to say. I don't want to discount that because mm-hmm. I think we see a lot of blockbuster product these days that kind of has nothing to say, you know? Like... We saw Jungle Cruise together. Yeah, we did. It was pleasant. It had nothing to say. Right. This movie, at least, is trying to have a message. Yeah. You know, and it's a message that people should hear. So I give it credit for that. But the movie itself is like, it's fine. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I watched a documentary on Netflix with Erica called Pray Away. Have you had a chance to watch this no, yet? No, but I'm intrigued already. It's about uh, gay conversion therapy. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the church. It's something like Exodus, maybe. Um, there was something called the Exodus Movement. I know about so maybe I've heard it's of that. the Exodus so that Movement. Right, like... um, and it interviews a bunch of the participants who were uh, part of this sort of gay, you know, they were, they were role models and used to promote gay conversion because they themselves had been converted. Of course, all of them are now living lives as gay men and women Mm -hmm. because amazingly it didn't take. I'm shocked. I can't believe this conversion therapy doesn't work. Um, It was hard to watch Mm -hmm. because I feel for the people being interviewed. Um, I I appreciate the fact that they are living happier lives now as their authentic selves. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I don't know that the movie really reconciles with the insane amounts of damage that they caused. Yeah. As being the faces of this movement. And I don't want to hold them 100% responsible for that because they were certainly being used by a larger movement mm-hmm. um, as sort of pawns and they were being manipulated. And so uh, the blame I think goes above their heads, but I don't think the movie ever really deals with any of that. And so it was, it was hard for me to watch because as I'm listening to them. I'm like, I'm really glad that now you're doing the right thing and now you're speaking out and now you're participating in this documentary and now you're telling your story. But I just think of all the people whose lives were hurt because they couldn't be themselves because they were told that who they were was wrong and they needed to be something else. It's fucked up. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering maybe who the movie is for because I wonder, okay, so I was raised in a pretty like Christian evangelical homeschool kind of world. Right. Right. Not in this exact movement, but you know, hearing stories about gay conversion and all that. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they're trying to somehow reach the people who still think it's possible and they would be more likely to believe like someone who used to be the face of it than what that group would perceive as like a failure of okay. that system. I don't know. I'm just curious. Like, Are if there that's people the in 2021 who still think it's possible? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's depressing. Um, (laughs) Not saying that that's good. It it reminds me a little bit. I don't know if you're at all familiar with this, but like uh, Joshua Harris, who wrote the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye and was like a big proponent of purity culture and like basically messed up a whole generation of people with that. um, He also like got divorced and like came out as atheist and now says all that stuff was garbage. But it's like a little hard to take. Right. Somebody that was like, you know, that they were manipulated by their parents or the people around them. But it's that same situation of like, how many lives have you left in your wake? Right. You know. Right. Let's hear from those those people. Yes. Yeah. 
Anyway, it's on Netflix if you're interested in watching it. I am interested. It. I probably yeah. will check it out. Yeah. Um, and the last one I'll talk about because I think I saw you post something on Twitter that fascinated me. Okay. Hmm. And this is a roundabout way of getting there. Okay. But since seeing old, yes. I've been rewatching a lot of M. Night movies. Mm-hmm. So I rewatched Glass. What are your feelings on Glass? It's not one of my favorites of okay. M. Night Shyamalan, but I enjoyed it. Okay. I was a little bit put off by a couple of the plot turns, but yeah. I, at the same time, could kind of see why he did what he did. Okay. I liked it way more this time than I did. I hadn't seen it since opening night, mm-hmm. and I was kind of left cold by it opening night, probably for a lot of the same reasons that mm-hmm. you're mentioning that we pr- won't get into, really, because sure. we'd have to spoil major aspects of Glass. Um I think it's really well directed. I've been admiring his direction, his his camera choices, his editing choices. Um, the writing is where I get a little hung up at mm-hmm. points, you know, in something like Glass. Um, he has a he has a big problem with uh, any sort of like disability. And he's very conspiracy-minded. Yes. That is true. And even old confirms Mm -hmm. those two things. Right. Um, Even though that's not his original material, he's drawn to it for a reason, right? Yeah, it's fascinating that he's... But I think I saw you post something on Twitter that you... That The Village is one of your favorite movies. It is. This is fascinating to me. Talk about this. Okay. So... The Village is one of my favorite movies. I'm going to have to reveal the ending of The Village. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, guys. Um, fast forward if you don't fast want Fast forward if you don't. But yeah. watch The Village. It's really good. Okay. So the premise of The Village being that a group of people decides the world is too bad to really like live in or raise a family. So they have to go out and create their own version of a more pure world felt very relatable to the way I was raised. Okay. Um, I was raised... In a family where I was homeschooled because my parents didn't want me to be exposed to public school and that influences that were there. And we, you know, heard in church, like, we're going to be in the world, but not of the world. And like all these messages about kind of keeping the outside out and being very like sustained within. Like I was even part of this group for a while where we were like growing our own food and like all this stuff, like preparing for the end of time. And so... I guess on that personal level, it just felt like, oh, like I was raised in an environment where I was taught to believe in these things that were scary and bad that in reality were not like the world is fine. I'm happy to be living in it now. (laughs) Um, It has its problems, but so does everything. Um, And you can't really like escape the badness. There's no safe place. And I really related to that. And I think that the movie is beautiful. It's like a fairy tale. Yeah. Um, I think Bryce Dallas Howard is Love phenomenal yeah. in that movie. Yeah. And it's just like so well crafted in terms of not manipulating your emotions, but like leading you right up to where you need to be with okay. the story. Um, so, yeah, I love that movie. I could watch it endlessly. That's fascinating because uh, that's the jumping off point for a lot of people. I think yeah. they get to the village and they're like, and they're okay, like, no, now I'm done out. with him because yeah. of the specifically because of the twist, you know, and I remember at the time I haven't revisited it in a number of years. And I remember at the time, even kind of wishing that there wasn't a twist. I was like, I actually want to see a movie about these people that live surrounded by monsters. And what's Mm -hmm. that like, you know? Um, But I totally understand what you're saying in terms of like relating to it. And so the, the twist turning it into a movie that's much more about your experience mm-hmm. and something that you can relate to. That's really, really interesting to me. Yeah. I've even showed it to people that kind of grew up in the same movement as I yeah. did and said, like, I think you're going to get a lot out of this. And they have. So not the only one, but it might be a limited audience. I don't know. But for me, it's a very powerful movie. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. I need to revisit it. I have it upstairs on my stack to watch yeah. because I haven't gotten to it yet. But that's awesome. All right. Cool. Uh, well, let's talk about Fast Times. Let's talk about Fast Times. 1982, sort of the birth of the modern teen movie. Yes. Uh, because we get 
Porkies in 1982. We get from Canon Films, The Last American Virgin, which is an American remake of the Lemon Popsicle series that had been very popular in Israel in the late 1970s. And we get Fast Times at Ridgemont High from director Amy Heckerling and a little-known writer by the name of Cameron Crowe, yeah, who uh, had written a book called Fast Times at Ridgemont High where he sort of went undercover at a high school and wrote about his experiences there. The book is famously hard to find now. Um, it's out of print, and copies will run, I think, a few hundred dollars. I requested it on interlibrary loan, but it didn't show up before the podcast. I appreciate your commitment, <laughs> uh, because I didn't even try, because yeah. I was like, this book's impossible to get. I'm not even going to make an attempt. Um, what are your Before we even get into the movie, what are your overall feelings about Cameron Crowe? He's hit and miss for me. Okay. But I love Almost Famous. Sure. And that was my introduction to him. I also love Vanilla Sky. Me too. Um, which I feel like, you know, we're kind of unique in loving that. I feel yes. like most people don't love it. No. Um, and I can't say that I've ever, like, really gone back and read his old Rolling Stone work or anything like that. But I have appreciated his love of music and his seemingly, like, zest for life that comes through in yeah. his movies. They're usually very sincere, even if I, you know, don't necessarily like relate to them all. Sure. So, yeah, okay. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm in a similar place. There was a time where he was really one of my guys. Yeah. And then the 2000s kind of happened. Sure. Like everything post Vanilla Sky. Although the day I saw We Bought a Zoo, mm -hmm. I liked it. I was like, this movie is nice. I'm I'm all in. And the little girl's name is Rosie, and for sure, that was a huge influence on us naming our daughter Aww. Rosie, because it was right around the time yeah. that Erica was pregnant, and it was like, well, that's an adorable name for an adorable child. Let's name our daughter Rosie. Yeah. Um, so I have him to thank for that. But then, uh, what was Aloha? Did you see yeah, Aloha? Yeah, I didn't see that. I actually didn't even oh. see We Bought a Zoo. I should probably go back and watch it, but... It's, like, cute, but problematic not problematic in like the twitter way sure. but just like problematic as a movie where you're just like this character isn't a real person mm -hmm, what is mm -hmm. this doing in the movie um aloha is like a as big a fiasco i think as a <laughs> as a talented filmmaker can make yeah it's spectacularly bad um but also very much a cameron crow movie mm -hmm. so it's interesting in that way where yeah. it's like He's flopping so hard, but he's still doing it as himself. Like when M. Night makes Last Airbender and it's terrible, it's like, yeah, but that's not him being him. That's right. him trying to he's do trying something, something else new. and trying to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. When Cameron Crowe makes Aloha, it's like, oh, no, he's bombing as himself. I almost feel like he kind of got frozen in time. Like, Sure. He only kind of knows how to make one particular kind of movie, yeah. and that kind of movie and some of the sensibilities of those movies don't really jive with what's going on in the world now. Right, right. But I haven't seen Aloha, so I can't say how that fits in. Oh, it's not good. But, I mean, Almost Famous is now 20 years old. Yeah. Jerry Maguire's 25 years mm -hmm. old. Like, all of his best movies are two decades old. Yeah. <laughs> what has happened? I know. Which brings us back to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, do you remember when you first saw this movie? I do. Uh, it was in 2000 because oh. as previously mentioned, I was very sheltered. Right. Um, so I had watched all the John Hughes movies I could get my hands on. And this looked like it might be similar to that. <laughs> uh, I was wrong. <laughs> so I watched it, um, is is a late night like Saturday night movie rental with a bunch of other movies I got from the local movie store and my cousins and I watched it and I was really glad her parents weren't in the room when we were watching it because I was like ooh this is not what I thought yeah, it was going right. to be and keeping in mind that I didn't have like a normal high school experience I really my only frame of context for high school was movies mm -hmm. this was probably the most raw version I'd seen at that point yeah. and I don't know if I was really ready for it sure. so. At the time, I was like, mm, I don't know. Then you said, hey, let's do a podcast about Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And I watched it again. And I was like, this is a five-star movie. I love this movie. Yeah. What was I missing? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's a weird thing to wrap your head around again, especially if and and I won't even say that like my affection for the movie has nothing to do with like this reminds me of high school because sure. it was not my high school experience at all. Um, but I do think it gets a lot of things right about being a teenager um and in existing in a world free of adults mm-hmm. because are there I mean except for the teachers there's really no adults and there's yeah. no parents in there's the movie there's no parents except the one that says uh good night to Jennifer Jason Lee right that's it right um yeah wow uh i mean there are adults cuz there's bosses at work sure. and there's rude customers and there's uh the rude customer by the way uh at all american burger sunny Liston, maybe his name is, or something like that. Sonny Carl. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, um, has gone on to star in all of Full Moon's evil bong movies. Oh, my. Yeah. What an illustrious career. Yeah. So he's he's doing Good for him. He's doing just fine, everybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Things might have been different if somebody had kicked all of 100 percent of his ass. But, you know, um, I love that you use the word raw because that's such a a good word to describe this movie, especially in comparison to something like the John Hughes version mm-hmm. of suburban teen life. Um, John Hughes romanticizes what it's like to be. A, and I love John Hughes. Movies. I do too. No shade. He romanticizes what it is to be a teenager and fast times is doing the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. And I mean, maybe part of it is, the John Hughes movies are very Midwestern. Like, they're set in Illinois. Right. They have those quote-unquote Midwest values of, like, <laughs> whatever that means. This is a California movie. Right. Like, it feels like, you know, a West Coast kind of feel. There's the surfing. There's the, you know, all that stuff. The mall culture, which I suppose existed out here, too. But I think maybe there, like, you had the Galleria and you had, like, all these things, right? And so it's almost, like, associated with... California and Los Angeles. Right. So I do feel like a different, it had a different feel. It almost feels like it's set in a different universe yeah. than a John Hughes movie. Yeah. Movie. I grew up watching it on like TBS. So you saw the TV version, right? I saw the TV version. I was watching that on the Criterion DVD. I didn't yeah. get all the way through it, but yeah. they definitely made some major changes. Yeah. And uh, added some scenes, which I thought was interesting. Right, right. So I grew up with weird swear dubbing, mm-hmm. like Fuzzy Nerd. That's the one yeah, I Yeah, Fuzzy Nerd. Because <laughs> he's a fuzzy nerd. Um, so when I finally saw the movie that it is, where it's like, oh, my God, these characters are naked and there's abortions and what is going on mm-hmm. in this movie? Um, it really took me by surprise. But I was a little older by that point. So, sure. I, I mean, I could handle it. I want to say my first exposure to the movie actually wasn't even the movie itself. There used to be a New York affiliate that would show... We got like a New York cable channel when I was a kid and we first got cable Um, like TBS was based out of Atlanta. So you Mm -hmm. were getting Atlanta cable basically. And there was this one called WOR and they used to run like the the Howard Stern Channel 9 show and they used to run. Anyway, um, they used to run the seven episodes of the sitcom Fast Times that aired in oh. 1986. Are you familiar with this? I am not familiar with this. So they turned it into a TV show. Um, and Amy Heckerling was a producer. Uh, Cameron Crowe was like a creative consultant. Mm-hmm. Amy Heckerling was a writer on most of the episodes. Directed a few of the episodes. Um Daniel Adius directed one of the episodes who made Silver Bullet. And then mm-hmm. the last episode that aired was directed by Claudia Weil, who made oh, Girlfriends. Yeah. Um, so it's Claudia Wells from Back to the Future. She's mm-hmm. Jennifer from the original Back to the Future. Yep. She plays the Phoebe Cates part. Okay. Courtney Thorne Smith plays Jennifer Jason Lee's part. Dean Cameron is Spicoli. Okay. Uh, Dean Cameron, famously, of Summer School and ski school and every movie you liked as a kid <laughs> um patrick dempsey played damone oh wow it was like a star-studded affair yeah that the is only, a star-studded affair the only cast members that carried over from the movie were ray walston and vincent Schiavelli, mm-hmm, who reprised the their roles as the teachers but yeah they only made seven episodes um 
some of them, like excerpts of them are available on YouTube. I was watching some of them today, but I watched probably all seven episodes of that before I ever saw the movie. Um, which is a weird way to go about it. Yeah. Cause I familiarized myself with the characters and then saw this much darker <laughs> version, uh, <clears throat> a couple years later. But, um, is there a specific character in the movie that you feel you relate to the most? Um, probably Brad. Okay. Which might be weird cause he's like the straight guy, but i I definitely could relate to like, Feeling like you had to be the responsible one yeah. and, like, having a job after school and, like, kind of getting fed up with it. But, like, you've got to go through the motions anyways because you want to be responsible. And, right. like, yeah. So I could certainly relate to him. Maybe being the oldest child also kind of related to that. I um, really like the relationship between him and his sister. Me too. too. Yeah. They don't bicker. They don't fight. When, right. When she needs help, he swoops in and he helps, does. you know. Um it's really sweet. I w- was struck by this again today. I'm all over the place. Mm-hmm. I apologize. No, I-, I find the scene of Damone calling to collect people that owe him money very sad. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about that. It is sad. I don't think it's played for laughs at all in the movie either. No, I no, think, it's not supposed to be you know, funny. You, you see his like notebook open and he's right. like desperately trying to figure out, okay, people I owe money to, people who owe, owe me money. And then, um, you know, he's on the phone like trying to collect and it, it's just not happening. Yeah. And you, you can kind of sense that he's like desperately trying to do it do the right thing but then you know he just i guess gives up because it falls through right and then he turns out to be a douche and he does the wrong thing and deserves to have you know little prick written on his locker or whatever it is that they write on his locker um but yeah i find that scene very sad because Mm -hmm. it's this scared kid trying to do the right thing as you said um well, and that's kind of what the whole premise of the movie is, is like kids that are thrust into these adult roles before right. they're really ready. Right. right. And, you know, um, like Amy Heckerling talks about and Cameron Crowe, too, but they talk about on the uh, commentary how they saw these kids that were like working jobs and, you know, dealing with sex in an adult way and having abortions and all this stuff. And it's like the parents are nowhere <clears throat> to be found. These are 15 year olds and they're right. like. You know, dealing with adult stuff that most adults would have trouble with. Um, but they're doing it with, like, an adolescent mind, which makes right. it even tougher. Right. So, yeah, that's a great scene to illustrate exactly what that means. And the only two actual teenagers in the cast were Phoebe Cates and Nicolas Cage, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Everybody yeah, I think Nicolas like Cage 20... was actually 17, which is why they thought about that's casting right. him as Brad, and then he was underage. So right. They couldn't. He lied and said he was 18. He did. Yeah. And then they figured it out and they're like, sorry. I heard some of the, I didn't get to hear all of the commentary, but I heard some of the commentary. Um, yeah. I mean, the casting of Jennifer Jason Lee, like this movie almost doesn't work without mm-hmm. Jennifer Jason Lee, without an actress who A, looks as young as she does. Yeah. B, who is as talented as she is. She's always been like maybe my favorite actress. Um She's up for anything, which is great. And and C is fearless. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, what she's asked to do in this movie is very, very difficult. And again, mm-hmm. it's none of it is romanticized. None of it is like sexualized. Mm-hmm. It's like just harsh lighting. And it's not um, there's a sequence where after she has sex with Damone in the like bathhouse or the changing room of the, mm-hmm. the pool house. um, where she's just laying and she's like naked talking to him as he gets dressed. And it's like, it's not at all played for like, it's not at all lascivious. It's not at all like, look at this naked actor. It's just exposed and raw and like so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. It is. That whole sequence is so uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, Ebert famously despised this movie when it came out. That's right. The first, okay, so I'm just going to read you the first couple lines of his review because it made me laugh, but also shake my head. And I love Ebert, so don't get me wrong. But here's what he says. How could they do this to Jennifer Jason Lee? How could they put such a fresh and cheerful person into such a scuzz pit of a movie? Don't they know they have a star on their hands? Scuzz pit of a movie. Yeah. I mean, it's not a scuzz pit of a movie. It's not. I, 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 well, I, I'm not. 
I guess I don't totally understand what he was reacting to. Well, his main complaint, as I read the rest of the review, seems to be that it doesn't fully commit to the vulgarity because he has no problem with that. Like, he right. obviously, like, has made some interesting <laughs> movies of his own, right. The Valley of the Dolls. Right. Um, but he feels like it didn't fully commit to the vulgarity, but then it also didn't fully commit to the, like, sincere stuff. So it he doesn't feel like it works because it's not funny enough, but it's also, like, not sincere enough and it's just too much embarrassment. So he wasn't ready for cringe humor. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, I I completely disagree with him. I I do too. And maybe he changed his mind. I don't know. This could be one of those movies he saw later and changed his mind on. But yeah, his 1982 review is a one star. That happened with Blue Velvet also. It did. He was so And he was very protective of Isabella Rossellini. So yeah, I guess he just had a protective streak in his... I guess. But it's funny because like you... So first of all, like the character definitely is in charge of these situations like yeah she's in over her head in some ways but she's the one that like initiates the sexual contact right, right. in both cases that we see she never looks like or feels like a victim although you know i i think she's in one really bad situation at the beginning the one you talked yeah, about yeah for sure but she did like put herself in that situation so it's not as though the character is a victim and then on the commentary, they talk about Jennifer Jason Lee walking around naked even when she wasn't shooting those scenes so that she could just get comfortable with it. So yeah. she was fine with all of this, right. you know? So. Yeah, I think anybody who's seen the rest of her filmography yeah. would recognize that, like, oh, this is who she is. And exactly. she's fearless and she's up for anything, as yeah. you said. And so these, this was an early indication of that. I mean, whoever cast this movie, the two people that deserve all the awards, besides Amy Heckerling and Cameron Crowe, Whoever cast it and whoever did the soundtrack. Yeah. Those people are the two heroes of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Because, again, even the smaller roles, the cheerleaders are played by Kelly Maroney and uh, Pamela Springsteen. Yeah, exactly. Who, you know, horror fans would know uh, from Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3, but she's also Bruce, Bruce Springsteen's, Springsteen's little sister. sister. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say something controversial. Please do. My one issue with the movie, if I have one, and I agree with you, it's a five-star movie. It's a great movie. Um, I don't love the Sean Penn performance. Interesting. I had a feeling you were going to say Spicoli was your problem. (laughs) Because I think he's playing a caricature when everybody else is playing a very real person. Mm -hmm. I think, And again, maybe this comes from not growing up in California and not knowing real surfers in 1982 and maybe he's doing an exact impression of these people that he knew and met at the time i know they talk on the commentary about how he was very method Mm -hmm. everybody had to call him jeff right and uh he wouldn't break character um i think every once in a while he lands on a perfect line delivery uh, my favorite being learn about Cuba having some food because it's so <laughs> it's so oblivious to the mm-hmm. fact that what he's doing is maybe inappropriate. He's it's completely sincere, and right. that's what I love about it. Because for so much of it, he's putting on that affect, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like it's pushing hard. And Sean Penn as an actor tends to do that, and that's one of the reasons I don't always love Sean Penn as an actor. He pushes and pushes and pushes. Um, and he's doing it inside of a comedy and he's creating a cartoon in a movie surrounded by, again, very real, very believable young people. Um, what are your thoughts on Spicoli? I'm going to make a defense of his performance. All right, cool. Because I would argue that in high school, people are often trying on personas that they may not ultimately genuinely be. Okay. And I could see this, like, surfer stoner guy persona being kind of like that, of, like, he's decided that this is, like, how he's going to be in high school. You know, he's trying this on, and he likes the lifestyle, and so he's, like, fitting in with that group. And um, I I could see that, like, even though it seems artificial, it's almost the same way that in Clueless, the kids talk in a very heightened way. And it's like, okay, kids don't really talk like that. But the idea of kids kind of making up their own lingo, Mm -hmm. it resonates. Sure. So to that extent, I think it's legit. And then I also 
think the heart of the Spicoli performance is actually in the last scene of him and Mr. Hand in his yes. room. Yes. Where he proves that he's like actually been paying attention right. and like he actually does kind of get the material. He's just he's a slacker. Like he doesn't <laughs> like to go to class. And, you know, kids like that do exist. And sometimes they're smarter than average. They just have a hard time fitting in with conventions. So I don't know. He's a little exaggerated, but I'm okay with it. That's another moment that I love is when Mr. Han asks him, you know, why do you insist on being late for my class? Yeah. And there's that long pause, which yeah. on the commentary, she admits to tweaking in the editing. Yeah. There's that long pause. And he goes, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> again, total sincerity. Right. Uh, n- oblivious to the fact that what he's saying is not the right thing to be saying. Um, I just, I think in a lesser movie, where his best friends are played by the likes of Eric Stoltz and Anthony Edwards. Right. Again, this movie is this insane who's who. It is. You know? um, I could see a, a lesser version of this movie where the two friends push even harder than him. Yeah. Because they're like, well, he's doing it, so we need to do it even harder because we're trying to grab for laughs or grab mm-hmm. for screen time or whatever. And they underplay it so much that his pushing stands out to me even more. Yeah. That they are just existing in the moment and he's pushing the, oh, dude, I'm a server. Uh-huh. You know? um, they're mostly reacting to him. Yeah, but like, they're just being themselves. Yeah. Eric Stoltz is just being Eric Stoltz. I know. You know. It did make me want to see like way more Eric Stoltz movies. Sure. Because he was great. Has he made a movie with Jennifer Lopez? Anaconda. Oh, uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Already seen it. Yeah, darn it. <laughs> Have you ever seen The Wildlife? No. It's like the spiritual sequel to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay. That's how it was billed at the time. It's written by Cameron Crowe. Mm-hmm. Um, it just came out on Blu-ray for the first time less than a year ago. And it was it was a big deal because it was like notoriously hard to see. It maybe didn't come out on DVD. So like since VHS. I think because of music rights. Because mm-hmm. again, it has all this insane music. Unfortunately, it's directed by Art Linson and not Amy Heckerling because she's a much better director than Art Linson. But Eric Stoltz plays one of the main characters. It's Eric Stoltz, Chris Penn, Leah Thompson. Mm. Um, There's a bunch of people. It's not, you know, it's not Fast Times, but it's interesting as a companion piece. It's it's, It's a lot of like what happens after high school or kind of in the summer between mm-hmm. school it takes place i think in the span of one summer and eric stoltz is kind of the main character and he's just graduated he's got his own apartment um so it's like post high school life what happens um it's interesting it doesn't all work but you should check it out yeah i'll have to look for that fast times fan yeah do you have a Favorite character? If you have a least favorite character, you must have a favorite. Uh, I mean, Stacy is probably my favorite character because mm-hmm. my heart goes out to her the most. I probably identify the most with like Mark Ratner. Sure, I like Mark Ratner. He's nice and means well, yeah. you know. And I think that was probably me in high school. Like I was nice and meant well, but had a hard time talking to girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I I like all the. I like all the characters. Even Spicoli, I like. I just, the performance I feel is a little bit forced. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like him as a character because he's funny and, you know, sweet. Right. Um, There's no, there's no bad people in this movie. Mike Damone is the closest. And again, Mm -hmm. we even get that moment of him trying to do the right thing. He's not a bad guy. When he apologizes to Mark Ratner, he's sincere about apologizing. Yeah, he sort of gets a redemption. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate that there's no outright bad people mm-hmm. um, because, again, a lesser movie would have, like, called out Phoebe Cates on her bullshit. Right. And turned her into... Sort of a, a not villain, but like, yeah. oh, you're a phony. Right, exactly. But I, I liked how the two friendships kind of mimic each other because you have, you know, the Phoebe Cates and Jennifer Jason Lee dynamic where it's like one that's less experienced Mentor, than the other mentee. theoretically. Yeah. Right. And then... You know, Damone and Rat, and it's the same kind of dynamic, but both of the, like, mentor people really are either less experienced than they claim or, like, just not as worldly wise as they'd like to think that they are. Right. So. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Uh, What else about Fast Times? I also love the music. I found it interesting when I was, like, listening to the commentary to hear Amy Heckerling say that 
she hated most of the music in it, and they oh, like I don't think forced I got to her to part. use it. No yeah, kidding. so she had to fight for the Go Go song at the beginning because they wanted to use that raised on the radio song instead. Right, and she had to fight for Oingo Boingo, and they also fought for the Led Zeppelin song. But the rest Which of it is the wrong song, and they know they talk right. about that. Yeah, that part I heard. But um, yeah, the rest of it, she's like, I was a punker. I. They told me that they were going to do a soundtrack album, and I had to kind of like use the songs that they gave me. Oh, and I wow. would have used like Fear and Elvis Costello and, you know, ACDC and all this stuff, and I wasn't able to. So it would have been a very different yeah. feel with those. Like, I I don't love Don Henley, so I'm not crazy about that song. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess the, the Don Henley, Joe Don Walsh Henley stuff, either. like yeah. that was in there because the former Eagles manager was the guy that was producing the soundtrack. So he like oh. had to put their songs. In. I don't know. But anyway, she she makes some joke on the commentary about hating the Eagles, but like being forced to. Mm, she's know. not wrong. Yeah, she's not. <laughs> um, yeah. Hurry and the dude. They both they both get it. Uh, yeah. So I but I love the music. I, I love somebody's baby. Like, I, re, I think that's the first time I'd heard that song was when I watched this movie. And I love Jackson Brown, you know, because of it. Um, and Raised on the Radio, as cheesy as it is, I think suits the song, suits the circumstance of Brad, like washing his car and getting yeah, all amped right, up. And right. so, yeah, I love the soundtrack. I think yeah. it's really fun. Yeah. No, it's again, it's impossible to hear moving in stereo without mm-hmm. thinking of Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool. It's exactly. impossible to hear somebody's baby without thinking of Jennifer Jason Lee in the dugout. Mm-hmm. Like they've become these iconic moments that are attached to these popular songs, mm-hmm. um, which is a big deal because it's not like, again, when you can marry these two things, I'm trying to think of an example of like a song <clears throat> that we associate with a moment in a movie that we had never heard before. Um, and I'm not, I'm coming up blank right now, but if it's a song that you've never heard and now you associate it with a movie, well, that makes sense mm-hmm. because that's your first association with it. But when it's a song that you've heard a million times, um, and then a movie uses it the right way and it's like, well, now I can never hear it another way again. Yeah. That's quite a feat. Right. Like Tiny Dancer in Almost Famous. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't hear that song without this. thinking of the bus. Right. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. No, Cameron Crowe is, is good at that. You know, um, I guess in your eyes would be a good example Mm -hmm. of that. Like when I first heard in your eyes, it was probably through say anything. So I didn't have an association with it besides say anything. So now I hear it and I love it, Mm -hmm. but I'm reacting to how much I love say anything. Of course. Uh, whereas in this movie, it's like, I've heard we got the beat a million times, but now you associate it with the opening of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, yeah. and it becomes a better song. It does. Because, Absolutely. Because yeah. you have that mall montage of right. like all the different food stands and right. the corn dogs being dipped in the oil. And <laughs> yeah, like it's a great opening scene. Like it would even make a great music video, even if it wasn't part of the movie. Yeah. So yeah, I love the music and the way that it's used. I think it really works well for the movie, even if it wasn't the intended score. I'm excited that this movie is part of the Criterion Collection, Me by the too. Way. By the way, the Criterion disc, which I got from the library because I haven't bought it yet, seems very worth owning. Yeah. Uh, I've been checking out as many of the features as I could squeeze in before this recording, and they're nice. all well worth it. So I haven't worked my way through the TV edit. Yeah, I'm not all the way through it, but I got through part of it, and I was um, duly impressed as somebody who didn't grow up watching the TV right. version. It's so. amazing that they would show it on TV. Yeah. It is. It's just not the kind of movie that lends itself to TV because once you take out so much of the stuff, you're really gutting mm-hmm. what makes the movie so special. Yeah. Um, and I get it, you know, wanting to show it because it's a popular movie and it's got lots of recognizable actors and lots of popular songs. Mm-hmm. And so there's lots of reasons why you'd want to put it on TV. Uh, but once you take out what they need to take out to put it on TV, it ceases to be Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Right. It's something else for right. sure. Like it's more artificial, I guess. But it still sh- it still uses footage that they shot during the making of the movie to fill in some of those gaps. Right. It's just like, right. you know, longer scenes of people talking and right. more Nicolas Cage. Right. And, which is you know, which not is a fine. bad thing. Yeah. I'm not complaining one bit. Nicholas um, Coppola. Nicholas Coppola. And he would go on to do Valley Girl, which was also wonderful. That's a great movie. It is a great movie. That was that the next year? Was that eighty three? I think 83? so. Okay. I think so. I think that was his next. Because this was his first. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
And then he goes on to be the lead in Valley Girl. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> Close to being the lead in this movie. Oh, I did hear on the commentary. This is something we should talk about for those of you who haven't listened to the commentary. The only other director they went out to with this movie? David Lynch. David fucking Lynch. <laughs> Can you imagine David Lynch's Fast Times at Richmond High? I cannot, but I would love to see it. Stacey Hamilton lives in a radiator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we have the teens of Twin Peaks, so we kind of know True, what a high school yeah. looks like in his mind. Right. right. Um, yeah. I wouldn't want to go to that high school. But... He was very nice in rejecting it. He said, thanks, it's funny, not really my material. Seems fair. Seems fair. And then a year later, he would famously turn down Return of the Jedi. David Lynch was in demand in the early 80s for movies that maybe he was not right for. I would probably really like The Return of the Jedi he would have made. I oh my gosh, like I movie. dream about it. I don't like the real one, so. You don't like the, the version we got? No, I'm not that much of a Star Wars fan. I am enough of one, but I'm I'm not offended by you saying that. I mean, you know? I love The Last Jedi, but that's probably more proof that I'm not a real Star Wars <laughs> fan. I don't know. I like Star Wars enough, and I also really like The Last Jedi. Yeah. So I think you can be a Star Wars fan or not a Star Wars fan and like that movie. I'm more of a Ryan Johnson fan. Understandable. So. Do you like The Brothers Bloom? Yes, I do. That movie rules. It's so much fun. I was just thinking we of it recently. We should do a podcast about that. Maybe right. we already have. But. I have not. No. Uh, yeah, I really, really like that movie. It's a good one. Um, anything else about Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Well, they talked a lot in the commentary and in interviews after, like, that are also on the disc about how the door was closing on being able to make movies like this and they wouldn't be able to get away with that today. I'm curious if you think that's true. Um, I don't think they could make... I think when they try now, it ends up being like... Well, even this <laughs> reference is 25 years old. I was going to say like Larry Clark's Kids. Mm. But that's a 25-year-old yeah. movie. So what is the contemporary counterpart? I don't know. Um, I mean, I know it was a big influence on Booksmart. You know, Olivia Wilde is the one that sure. like, interviews them on the disc and yeah. talks about having her entire cast sit down and watch Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But to me, Booksmart is not Fast Times. Like, they're very... They feel like movie different. teenagers. Yeah. Which I is mean, fine. It's a I fun like Booksmart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, and maybe it resonates more with people that are of that generation than, you know, I guess. But yeah, to me, they're they're not in the same universe. Um, Plan B, which I reviewed for this site, yeah. has some thematic strands that are similar. In but terms of trying to deal with some of these issues, yeah. But I still don't feel like it's the same kind of like raw. Right naturalistic kind of right. performances where you know you're you're stranded in the, these teenage lives that like they're just fending for themselves you know what i mean we we're now in a generation that's like has cell phones and everybody's always connected and like you can't imagine not checking in with your right. parents and right. like right. i don't know it just it does in some ways i see what they're saying but on the other hand i think in terms of like what you can get away with on the screen i think you could still make a movie that pushes certain things i do too but i think you and i more than once have used the word raw to describe this mm -hmm. and i think somebody trying to make something comparable now would key in on that word too much mm -hmm. and so it becomes you know I, I jumped right to larry clark but it's like it jumps right to raw and gritty. And what's so magical about Fast Times at Ridgemont High is that it's so glossy. It has such a light touch. It's so sunny and upbeat and fun. Mm -hmm. um, because Amy Heckerling is a great comedy director while still being raw and real. And, and I think that balance is really 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 hard and i don't think anybody has gotten it as right as she did here so i think yes there are filmmakers who would try to do it but i think if they were trying to be if they were trying to do the same kind of material i think they would push too hard on the rawness and not make it as entertaining an experience right. as Fast Times at Ridgemont High ends up being. 
Yeah, I think that's true, especially when it's an ensemble like this is. Right. I, the closest thing I can think of in recent years would be Diary of a Teenage Girl, which was set in the 70s. So it's still I like... I I saw that. Um, and it's a teenage girl who has like very, you know, adult experiences. Is it the one with Alexander Skarsgård? Yes. Okay, then I did see that. Yeah. But even that, like, it's one person's experience. So right, it does right. have some humor. I think it is a little bit more on the gritty side of things than in right. the humor side of things. Not a bad thing. I really liked the movie. But you're right. Like, finding something that has this balance of the humor and the giddiness and the energy. Right. right. Plus right. the kids dealing with adult stuff. Right. Yeah. That's tough to find. Because she made Clueless, which is... All of the surface stuff with mm-hmm. none of the, you know, and I love Clueless. Yeah, so I'm not saying anything. Movie. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Favorite movie. Oh, I'm so glad I asked you to do this then. <laughs> I didn't know that that was your favorite movie. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love Clueless. I will never say a bad word about Clueless, but Clueless is all the great stuff about Fast Times at Ridgemont High minus the kind of heavier, darker, thematic right. stuff that's going on. It's all the stuff that Amy Heckerling does so well, being light and fun and entertaining and mm-hmm. poppy. Um, so we know she's capable of doing that again. But yeah, I can't think of another movie that, that does the balance the same way. Well, it's hard to imagine a studio greenlighting it as well and like sending it Oh, it, it would be an indie release. for sure. Which this is one another even big had, difference. you know, yeah. this one even had some trouble getting a proper release. Like they wanted to slap an X rating on it because she had full frontal male nudity and they said that right. the male member was too aggressive to be seen by audiences. <laughs> so they had to cut that out. Damone's got aggressive wang. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, <laughs> you know, but I do think. A filmmaker who felt up the up to the task could theoretically make a movie like this today. Yeah. I just think nobody has yet. Yeah, I would agree with that. And yeah, it would not come out of a studio, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and it would lean, I think, very hard on the cringe aspect. Mm-hmm. Because even Diary of a Teenage Girl... Definitely has some cringy aspects. Yeah. I mean, lot. that's that's... That's yeah. what we do now when it's mm-hmm. like we want to show that something's uncomfortable, so we just make it cringy. It becomes the the Todd Solins effect, you right. know, for everything. Um, we should do a podcast on happiness. Did you ever see happiness? I've not seen it. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll see it. I'll do whatever I got to do for this podcast. I but, appreciate uh, it. I've heard that happiness doesn't live up to its name. So no I've been boy. avoiding it. <laughs> no, it does not. I remember seeing happiness in like a mall movie theater. Oh, Woodfield mall. Uh, turn into like, art theaters for a short say, time. I was going to say, it doesn't feel like a mall movie. No, in like the mid to late 90s, they converted to like art theaters. So I saw like Waiting for Guffman there mm-hmm. and Happiness and uh, House of Yes, the Parker Posey movie yeah. and the Day Trippers, like all these oh, like wow. indie movies I saw at the Woodfield Mall. But Surprising. I remember seeing Happiness there and I'm trying to remember if there were walkouts. There had to have been. Yeah. Anyway. Um, this was super fun. Thank you this for talking about this movie. This was super fun. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited that Clueless is your favorite movie. It is my now favorite movie. It's perfect that you were on to talk about Fast Times. Um, thank you guys very much for listening. As always, go to fthismovie.com every day for more quality content like this. Follow us on Twitter at fthismovie. Email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find F This Movie. Thanks again, Rosalie. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.